0: We often hear about toxic workplaces, but what about toxic bosses? As a boss or leader, your behavior and actions can significantly impact your team's productivity, morale, and overall well-being. But how do you know if you're a toxic boss? And more importantly, how can you fix it? In this episode, we will dive deep into the signs and characteristics of a toxic boss. We will discuss the effects of toxic leadership on employees and the organization as a whole. We will also provide practical tips and strategies for improving your leadership style and creating a healthy work environment for your team whether you're a new or experienced leader this episode is a must listen so grab a pen and paper and let's get started on the journey to becoming a better boss have you heard of the hoofa theme for magento it is a powerful yet intuitive theme that has been designed to help magento store owners create the perfect online store with the hoofa theme you can create a store that is unique and engaging while taking advantage of the latest technology that will make your site blazing fast. The theme is built with a modern responsive design that is optimized for maximum performance and usability. You can easily achieve Google Lighthouse scores of 10. It is also fully customizable, allowing you to adjust its look and feel to fit your brand. Overall, the Hufa theme is the best choice for any Magento site. It is easy to set up and customize, and it provides powerful features to help you create a successful online store. Plus, it is designed to work seamlessly with your existing Magento store, so you can take advantage of its powerful features and tools. With the Hufa theme, you can create a beautiful, engaging, and successful Magento site. Go to hyva.io to learn more. That's hyva.io and tell them that Talk Commerce sent you. Are you interested in AI content generation, but you don't know where to start? Have you tried ChatGPT and found it doesn't work or you don't even know what to do with the results? Have you had problems starting your marketing campaign or started and lost momentum? When was the last time you have a blog post live on your website? My friends at Content Basis have a fantastic offer for you. They use predictive analytics to find content opportunities that will perform on your website. They leverage those opportunities using machine learning and humans to create content that outperforms any other content you've seen before. They don't stop there. They have two human editors reviewing your content before it goes live. Once your content is live, they create 10 social posts on each of those content pages that was just launched. Finally, they work with you to see how those posts are performing and what they can do to add, change or update the posts in the future. Content basis is putting the human into your content marketing and your content automation. But don't take my word for it. Look at what Content Basis has been doing for Talk Commerce for the last 4 months. Content Basis is currently accepting beta candidates for WordPress, BigCommerce, and Shopify. Go to contentbasis.io. That's contentbasis.io and learn how you can create marketing strategies that work into the future. My name is Brent Peterson and I'm your host. Please remember to subscribe wherever you download your podcasts. And now, Talk Commerce. Welcome to Talk Commerce. Today I have Tiffany Human. Tiffany is a career coach. Tiffany, go ahead, introduce yourself, tell us your day-to-day role and maybe one of your passions in
1: life. Sure. Thanks so much for having me, Brent. Really happy to be here. So I am a career strategy coach. I focus on empowering high achievers to become the top 1% in their career, really fast track their success and start becoming very much fast-tracked in their promotions, raises, job opportunities, and ultimately filling in a lot of the gaps that school never teaches us. Uh, Formerly from becoming a career strategy coach, I was a former Fortune 500 senior director in the Fortune 500 space. So a lot of firsthand learnings fuel into my coaching practice today, and I'm very passionate about giving back and and paying it forward so others don't have to feel alone in their career and what it takes to really become that top 1%. Uh, something that I'm really passionate about. Um, I'd say definitely my family. When I'm not working, I'm definitely spending a lot of time with them and soaking up the the quality moments that we have together. It brings a lot of light into my life. So I'm definitely prioritizing that more and more.
0: That's awesome. So we met because one of uh, my employees uh, sent me a link that you had done, an Instagram link, and I thought it was very good. Um, But so we we did want to talk about bad bosses, and I thought, um, well, I guess I was a little bit encouraged that an employee would send me something about a bad boss. Tell us um, some of the toxicity that can come with bad bosses.
1: Oh yes, I mean, unfortunately, it's a little bit too prevalent. I've heard a lot of horror stories over the last few years alone, and you know, I've definitely experienced some very challenging moments myself. I mean, I've had great bosses, I've had not so great bosses. And I I really feel for people going through some of those darker moments because it can really take a toll to your point, Brent. I mean, it can impact your confidence, your self-esteem, your self-worth, how you view your capabilities and what your, what your abilities are. Right. And I think bad bosses, toxic bosses, I mean, that word is thrown around a lot and there is a really important distinction around, you know, a true toxicity driven boss versus maybe just having a clash of leadership style versus what you need as an employee to be best supported. So that is a really important distinction um, because when it's really talking about people's confidence and the way they value themselves, we want to be really clear about, you know, which ones need to be taken very seriously, especially when it comes to well-being and mental health and which ones probably need some adjustment in strategy and action steps that can actually make a current situation a lot better uh, but i mean we see things from you know micromanagement to uh, you know nepotism to favoritism to down talking to you know throwing under the bus not looking out for your best interest as their employee uh, you know, really yelling at you, or just being really mean and, and, and embarrassing in, in many work moments. I mean, the list goes on. There could be also very unethical behavior. Um, I've certainly supported quite a few of my clients with those types of really unfortunate circumstances around harassment and things that have taken a turn, you know, for the worst in those moments. So, I never want anybody to feel alone going through that because there is hope, there is light at the end of this, but often we need that kind of support in an objective way to help you get to the other end.
0: Yeah. I mean, you bring up a lot of good points, um, about the, uh, how, how you interact with your subordinates and how your subordinates theoretically should interact with you as the boss. Mm. Um, I know that, Laughter in the workplaces of value, and we talked about the the free joke project, which I completely forgot when we did our intro. So I'm going to just pause. Yeah, I'm sorry. We're <laughs> going to pause, take thirty seconds, and I'm going to tell you a joke. And we decided if this joke should be toxic or not. So it could be the toxic joke project, and I, I don't have any toxic jokes. They're all dad jokes. So <laughs> I apologize. Um, we're just going to take thirty seconds. I'm going to tell you the joke. All you have to do is tell me if you feel that joke should be free or if someday we should charge for it. And it's an easy one. Okay. We had a contest at work for the best neckwear. It was a tie. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, I I agree. You know, we had to get it out of the way (laughs) because, yes. So yeah, I'm sorry. I I, I, I like like delivery. Delivery was a very poor on that one. Um, it's all right, okay. So I like
1: it. It's clever. <laughs> I mean, I don't see anything particularly wrong with that joke.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's uh, right. I won't make any more. I was going to make a bunch of puns because I'm also good at that, but I won't yeah, do that. Yeah. I, I
1: was saying that's a good pun. <laughs> a good <laughs> right. play on words for sure.
0: <laughs> um, all right. So um, let, let's just talk with, let's let's come back to the toxic boss and talk about how Um, you you mentioned throwing under the bus, you mentioned, um, not supporting you, um, playing favoritism. Mm. A lot of those things really work against having a great team, right? And I know that I've been in situations where somebody leaves and then all of a sudden that person is the worst person in the world. Um, or if there's somebody that you know is in a company and you as the boss are saying bad things about that person, um, Talk a little bit about the differences between, say, subjective things you're saying about somebody and, and being objective in terms of how you would like to imp- that person to improve.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I think the subjectivity versus objectivity is a really important one because, I mean, subjectivity leads a lot of, of room for interpretation, right? I mean, what's really actionable there? What is actually founded in something that has some weight to it? Um, You know, when it comes to whether it's feedback, whether it's improving in a certain situation, I definitely tend to recommend moving towards objective because that's what's going to get the best buy-in. It doesn't seem like it's emotionally driven. It doesn't seem like it's just based off of feeling, but rather something that's going to help move the situation forward. And that's really important, especially when we are working with more challenging bosses or managers. You don't want to stay in that emotional subjective state. It's likely going to backfire, we need to be able to move into more of an objective lens and dialogue that's going to help your case and at least put some cards on your side to see if this is a a relationship that's worth, that's able to be improved and and salvaged.
0: Yeah. I know one thing. Well, so I'm a big believer in EOS entrepreneurial operating system. And in that framework, we have a, a scorecard that, and the kind of the rule is, or not the rule, but best practice is that everybody should have a number. And a lot of people look at that, maybe employees would look at that as saying, hey, I'm only a number. Mm -hmm. But I think that 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 gives you an objective way of measuring your performance. And it also gives your boss a way of saying, hey, here's some objectives that we would like to achieve. Here's the the, uh, data that helps us to determine if we're being successful in that or not. And it doesn't have to necessarily be bad. It could be something that points to something else that says, I wasn't able to achieve my number because of blah, 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 or... But I think it's a great starting point to have something concrete to look at to measure how well you're doing.
1: Oh, 100%. Yeah, I mean, key performance indicators are really essential, right? Otherwise, how can you hold yourself accountable? Your boss can't really hold you accountable otherwise, and and these are really critical to help you track your own progression as well if if goals objectives are very surface level are very qualitative only it's going to lead to a little bit of messy waters ahead i can say it like that because you don't really have a proper baseline to go off of to your point Brent, when you've got those numbers when you've got those types of metrics to use as a bit of a guideline now you know what your targets are, and now you know what kind of room you have for improvement, and you can use that to your advantage if you're, you know, really intentional and strategic about it.
0: Yeah, and I think you, as an employee, are more comfortable when you know where the playing field is, and the goalpost isn't getting moved. Oh yeah. In the subjectivity, and uh, uh, it, when when it's subjective, it's much easier to move the goalpost and say, "Well, you didn't achieve this," mm-hmm. and you don't know what you're supposed to achieve
1: exactly. Exactly. I mean, I've seen it a lot, right? I've seen it happen a lot where, you know, someone will have a conversation with their boss. They'll say, yeah, you know, you're on your way to your next step. We just need to see this. They work on that. And it's such a surface level type of thing. So they think they're doing what they need to do. And then sure enough, They have another conversation a little while later and their boss throws in something else in the mix. meaning like, no, well, we also still need you to do this. And it's still very subjective and surface level. And so it leads you to stay in your positions a lot longer than needed. It creates a lot of stagnation and frustration for the employee because they're trying to follow suit on what feedback they're being given. But the issue there is that it's not actually quantifiable enough in the feedback or metric driven that will allow them to have a better sense of accountability to drive their progression forward as well. So if you have a manager or boss who just tends to stay very surface level in their answers, um, giving you a little bit of direction, but not enough that you can really sink your teeth into, that's likely a a big watch out that you want to try to get more specificity on.
0: What about when you consistently hear your boss say, I was, very clear in what I was trying to say. And, but nobody is clear in what they're trying to say. Mm -hmm. How, how, from, and and this is, I suppose, more for the, um, for the manager or the boss to help them understand why they're not clear. Yeah. Just, I, I'm a big proponent of simply putting it in writing and saying, this is, this is what we're, we're trying to do rather than just stating it. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then comment on that. Uh, I'm so clear that why don't you understand what I'm saying?
1: Oh yeah. And it it could also depend on the tone, right? Are they using like a condescending tone on top of it when they're telling you that of like, you know, I, I was, I was very clear in what I said. I don't understand why you, why you don't get it like that again, is really making the employee feel very, very bad and insecure in that moment of, okay, maybe I am missing something. Maybe it is me when it could absolutely be the the onus of the manager, but they're projecting that onto their employees as if they're doing something wrong. Um, but the big thing here is a lot of managers, because they are so distant from the, the day-to-day work or the execution, let's say that their team is handling they might say something thinking that it is super clear, but there's other flares to this, other facets to it that they don't have as much uh, they don't have as much connection to anymore. So for them it sounds very obvious what they're asking, but the employee who's the one that's actually doing it is like, well, hang on a second, like that's actually not very clear because in order to do what I think you're asking, it actually involves XYZ and you're not mentioning XYZ. So a good way to counter that is the employee is to help them see kind of the the other side of that coin, right? You could, of course, give them feedback on maybe how they're actually delivering the message if that's where the issue lies. But if it's more around kind of a disconnect between what they think they're sharing with you and what actually needs to get done, you need to be able to close that gap of saying, you know, I understand, you know, that you want us to work towards fill in the blank. You know, in order to do that, though, there is a piece that you haven't mentioned. And I I believe that's where the, the confusion is coming from. Right, and then share more around that part, so they kind of understand where you're coming from, and you could find a middle ground to move forward more effectively than stay in this limbo state of confusion and and disarray.
0: Yeah, I can I can um, relate to the fact that uh, so I'm in a visionary. And oftentimes there's 4 million things going in my head and I'm assuming that everybody else understands what I would like out of some thing. Right. And that assumption is not met because they are not doing it. And then I get frustrated. Mm. I'm going to use past tense because I'm hoping I'm doing better. I would get frustrated in the fact that they didn't understand what I wanted to get out of it, even though they should have, I, you know, put me putting some, some projection or, whatever that on the other person is often a problem in the sense that I'm, my expectation is, you know, everything I know, right. yeah And that you can just go ahead and do it. And I don't have to give you much direction. All you have to do is do it. yeah And then if you don't do it, I'll get a little bit frustrated in that. And, you know, for me, it's, I'm very visible when I'm frustrated. (laughs) You can see it right on zoom even. So, um, again, I, I think it probably comes down to, uh, writing it out and creating some clear goals and and making sure that everybody's tracking those.
1: Yeah. That's a big part of it. And I would also add to manage expectations, right? There's nothing wrong with being visionary. I think that's, what's really gonna inspire people, especially if you're really passionate about it and you're sharing it in a way where they could feel your excitement, they can feel like this could be something amazing that they get to be a part of. But to really get their buy-in, yes, it's part around sharing the vision, but also you know, why their involvement in that vision is so critical and to help break down more of the action steps that's gonna help deliver on that. And that's what I mean by managing expectations because it's one thing to get the vision, but then, okay, what does that actually mean for me as this particular employer? What does that mean for my colleague who's also working on this? And it will help you as that manager and the leader to know that you're mobilizing your people in the right way. Right. And it, it doesn't always have to be you necessarily being the one giving those action steps. It could be like a collaborative effort. It'd be like, hey, this is the vision that, you know, I want us to achieve. Let's have a conversation around some strategy that will help us get there or some goals that will help be uh, be good milestone indicators towards the end outcome, as an example. So there's ways of doing that makes it a little bit more tangible without taking away you as a visionary because that's probably what makes you you and what um, can make someone really a great boss and leader
0: um i i want to talk a little bit about crisis and how a boss can either help or hinder in a crisis and i'm gonna again share my own personal experience on how i can now look back and see i was a very poor crisis boss when something happens and, you know, let's just say in, in, the, in the software industry, something is going wrong with the client's website and you as the boss are, are sort of, you know, we're disconnected from the day-to-day actions of whatever is happening in that project. You're asked to come in to try to help and solve something. And I used to, and I'm, I, I'm hoping I don't do this anymore, but I used to immediately start doing the shoulds. And in EO entrepreneurs organization, we have this thing called, we don't shoot on anybody. We try to share our own experience rather than shooting on people. And <laughs> as I look back at my self, my previous self in the last 10 years, even I can remember how many times that I entered a stressful time. And instead of being a good coach or a mentor or in somebody to try to help somebody move forward, I started saying, I'm so disappointed in, in this team. I, mm-hmm. you should have done this. Why didn't we do that? When at that time of crisis, you as the leader should be looking at, and I just used the word should, I, I should have been doing things like, let's find the solution. Let's work together to find ways to move past this or whatever. Yeah. Uh, to talk a little bit about how a leader can come in and either be a hindrance or a big, Asset in that type of situation.
1: Mm, that's such a great point, Brent. There's a few things that come to mind. I'll say, you know, as a starting point when it comes to crisis management, being proactive is is going to help so much. What I mean by this is, you almost want to be ready for the crisis before it even happens. You don't want to necessarily be in crisis mode to start coming up with strategy, backup plans, and and spread the team a little bit thin. When they're already likely a little bit stressed about what's going on, so that level of anticipation as a leader and a boss can be really helpful. Of you know, knowing when times are good, that's actually a good time to kind of have things in place, have processes, uh, different types of mechanisms that will help should things you know end up going sour a little bit later on. But in those actual moments when it happens, I, the the key is obviously. You want to be able to still motivate your team during that time of challenge because that's where a lot of their light can shine through of how they rise above in a very difficult occasion. And so, yes, I'm with you on like the should, the should, it's it's sometimes tempting to say of like, you should just do this or, you know, why didn't we think of that and, and get a little bit accusatory, but that's probably very counterproductive in those moments. So when the crisis is happening, obviously trying to stay calm and level-headed and more solution focused and really putting on that problem solver hat is going to be key um, because that's going to show that you're leading by example of saying, okay, look, let's, you know, bring our heads together. This is obviously not an ideal situation, but getting overly stressed and worked up is probably only gonna make matters worse. So let's, you know, try to keep keep calm and look at this from as an objective point of view as possible. What are things that are in our control that we can actually action right now and then get people's involvement so they feel like, okay, I have a voice in this, I am being valued in, in what my contributions are, um, without it falling into a little bit of that dictatorship of like, well, you got to do this, or you should do this, or why didn't you do that? And that will probably make them feel even worse in an already very difficult situation.
0: Yeah. And I, there is a balance there because I can think of, you know, I, maybe I've swayed sometimes the opposite direction where all I'm doing is sharing my experience and hoping that somebody gleans something off of that. Where sometimes in a crisis, you didn't do need a leader that says, go this way, do these things. Let's just, Let's head down this path. And then it's, of course, on me as the leader to take responsibility for it. I think that's the second part of that is Mm -hmm. you as a leader say, here's the direction we're going to take. We're going to solve it this way. And I'm taking responsibility if it Mm -hmm. goes wrong. Right. Oh, yeah. The the other side to that is if you as a leader say you should do this and that should didn't work. And then the person who did it screws up. And then suddenly, like you said earlier, we've thrown them under the bus for doing it wrong. Right. I oh, think as a leader, absolutely. Taking, taking, taking on that responsibility and then not shifting the blame to anybody else. At the end of the day, you as the, as the owner or the CEO are ultimately responsible for everything that happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And certainly a one off or a two off could be your team, but a three off, a four off, and a ten off is usually a management problem or a leadership problem.
1: It's so true. It's so true. Being able to take that ownership, right? And that's a a really great way to inspire your team as well. If they can see that, hey, you know, Brent is, you know, not afraid to say, you know, this was the wrong decision or, you know, maybe we should have taken a different direction. Often those post mortem learnings are just as important as the learnings throughout the process, and a lot of you know companies and teams almost discount that importance, where it's like okay, just on to the next thing, or we don't actually analyze enough what went wrong that led to that crisis, so you know we can prevent it happening another time. Um, So those elements are really important because there's a a lot of gold that can come from those types of learnings and retrospection on, you know, what might have happened and how to how to serve up differently moving forward. Uh, But taking the ownership as the leader, as the boss honestly brings a lot more respect than than anything else. You know, if you are the type of boss that's going to just blame it on your team. Well, shame on you as the boss because you're still their boss and you let that happen. So it's just going to backfire either way if you try to almost brush it onto your team members. When at the end of the day, you're the one that made the decision. You're the one that helped guided things in that way, and you have to take some level of responsibility, um, if not a full part of that responsibility.
0: Um, we talk. You you talk about having a feedback loop and and having an ability for the having a safe place for employees to be able to talk to their boss. I, I did an interview a couple of months ago where a lady who was a, a VP said that her, the owner of the company would give her 30 minutes every other week to simply bitch and complain about what's wrong at work without any feedback, no problem solving, just listening. Um, how, how would you recommend a, an owner open up that channel and make people feel comfortable doing
1: that? Mm. Well, definitely leading by example. If they can show that you know they're open to doing it and encourage others to do it, that it starts there because this is something that trickles down from leadership. I mean, I love that example because I don't think we see enough companies doing that. There, there's always kind of two sides to that coin too, right? You know, as much as we might feel, okay, there's an openness to share and vent, It also sometimes begs the question, you know, will this somehow backfire or will this get back to someone? You know, you don't want to necessarily use that opening as a way to bash other people or throw your boss under the bus or, you know, say really bad things about other individuals, because I think that's just a testament to your character as well and how you want to present yourself in a professional setting. I don't think there's anything wrong, though, about fostering a feedback culture around weights that things can be improved, maybe around more processes, inefficiencies, things like that. But I could see a little bit of, of delicacy in how open people are in those settings, especially with senior leaders who are often important decision makers around internal movement, um, if they get the sense that you, know, you can speak about people in a certain way. So the intention is good because, of course, employees are thinking this um, and they want to be able to create that environment where they feel comfortable sharing. But I think there's a reason why a lot of companies don't necessarily have those types of platforms available because of, you know, will people truly be as transparent? Maybe yes, maybe no. A lot of organizations choose to have more of these anonymous surveys where they can actually collect information and get a better sense of where problems are and where people feel more comfortable sharing because it is anonymous. So if there is an anonymity to the type of platform and sharing, that will probably help go a long way in the openness of what people are willing to share.
0: Yeah. We used a system called Office Vibe that allow you that allowed you to put in anonymous feedback. And there was a number of questions that came out every week. Yeah. I found when I was managing it, I found it hard to often get everybody or main, make sure everybody stayed engaged in it. You know, mm-hmm. like, you know if, if we had a hundred people you would slowly see that engagement rate drop down unless you went back and encouraged people to to, to fill out the surveys, right? Yeah. Um, I can also share that I six months ago I started doing the "Ask me anything you want" and nobody took me up on it. Well, I, I should I should I'll correct myself. I think out of out of six months, you know, and meeting with about two with about two hundred meetings, I probably had. Um, had three people who just had that, who wanted to use that 15 minutes to vent. Yeah. And most of the time people wanted to just tell me about their jobs. And, yeah. uh, my, my, I, I was trying, my goal was to learn more about them, you know, and I would steer them towards how is your family? How many kids do you have? Blah, blah, blah. Cause you, I mean, at some point you can't know everybody on the team, right? That, mm-hmm. And I, I was trying to just know something a little bit about somebody, um, So uh, I I can see that. Yeah, I I, I see where you're saying. I I can definitely understand what you're saying about um, it could get off the rails.
1: It can, and and it might not even be anything to do with you as an example, Brent. It could be maybe a past experience that they had that didn't play out very well. So now they've got a bit of a guard up of how things might play out in this current work setting, as an example. So it's it's always good to kind of come from a place. I think the anonymity, like you said, is really important. There's going to be the people who choose to take you up on it, who are really eager to fill feedback, others that might feel like, well, I don't feel like if I say anything, it's going to change anything. So I'm just not going to say anything at all, which is a little unfortunate, but that's probably being trickled down by the leadership. That's making them feel that their voice doesn't matter. And that's a bigger problem. Um, so there, there's different nuances here to, to, to play into all of this, but I am still a very big advocate of trying to foster feedback in a way that will work for a specific individual company's culture, uh, because that's where it starts. You know, the more that this becomes second nature, the more that it becomes a habit is going to help you know, employees really feel a lot more comfortable sharing. And this is something that, you know, I had done and been part of in my, in my corporate work. And it, it made a big big changes in a, in a good way of allowing people to feel more open to share feedback, whereas prior it wasn't something that was actively welcome. So it's, it's not the type of thing that changes overnight, but the baby steps that, you know, if it's something that is, you know, walking the walk and talking the talk from a leadership standpoint, with time, it will move things in the right direction.
0: Is the HR person kind of that person who should be open to listening to any sort of complaint? Like, is there somebody in the company that anybody should feel comfortable with if they have some huge concern or gripe?
1: Technically, yes. Uh, HR is normally that entity that will do that and be that that sounding board. Uh, you know, will that always be the case? Not necessarily. You know, I've certainly heard and seen a lot of stories where HR wasn't necessarily um, the, the one that helped in that situation, but I've seen situations where they absolutely have. So I, I think it really depends on the type of organizational culture, but generally because HR plays a pretty pivotal role in, you know, employee development and growth and, and enablement internally, they normally are quite a good type of department to get on your side and bring these types of topics forward, especially if you're bringing it in a way where there's opportunity for improvement. You know, It's not just coming to complain. I think that could be a really big pet peeve for someone in HR where they're just hearing complaint after complaint, but no solutions. So I'm a big believer of, okay, if you have a complaint, bring it forward. But pair it with, an, uh, with a solution. Help them already get the ball rolling. You're, if you're the one feeling this, this particular challenge, you probably also have a sense of what can change to make it better and at least bring that part to the conversation as well so it becomes much more collaborative and well-received on the end of HR to say, okay, you know what? They actually have a good point. Maybe you know that's something that is worth considering versus seeing it just as negativity coming to their door.
0: Yeah. And that, that applies to almost every situation in life. And uh, I'm part of a community or a bunch of uh, a number of communities. And oftentimes people in the community have a complaint about the community without a solution. And for me, that's, that is like, well, you know, you're going to complain about this, but you don't have anything that you would like to add to it. It's kind of like you want to chisel it down, but you don't want to help, help repair it
1: so easy for people to do that. You're so right, Brandon. I think we can all relate with people in our lives who are very quick to complain about something, to bring something down, but yet they're the last person that will actually share a solution, right? It's like, okay, well, what are you going to do about it? And then their face goes blank, right? They're not ready for that, but they're ready to openly share what's not working. Um, So I think that that is definitely a skill that needs to be developed, but adopting that problem solving mindset is is a real real strength for you in the workplace especially and as you grow and and be and are more exposed with senior leaders as well they're going to expect that of you right they're going to expect that it's not just about bringing problems forward you have to be already taking some ownership on what can be done to be improved
0: um how about the word empathy as a leader how important is that
1: Oh my gosh, friends. Huge, huge. I mean, I can tell you, I am a huge advocate of empathy, especially in in leadership styles. Uh, it, It really moves mountains. It's definitely not as prominent as it should be and is something that can make mountains move like in a beautiful way in a workplace setting. When people feel heard and understood and really identified with, you, you start speaking with them in such a different level of understanding than something that's more authoritative alone in nature, right? When people feel like they are on the same page, that you are understanding where they're coming from and really listening with them to understand them, it's going to help whatever strategies, recommendations, um, elements that you bring forward to be so much better received because it's coming from a place of really tapping into those insights, right? I, I say this, you know, as like a new boss, as an example, if you're starting on a team, whether it's a first time people manager or just a new boss on a team, take the time to really speak with your team members, understand where are the pain points, where are things that have been challenges for them, really take that time to understand so that when you bring forward suggestions and solutions, you're already integrating those pain points so that they're going to be like, oh my gosh, where was this strategy, you know, a year ago or six months ago? Um, And it's going to help build up a lot of trust and a lot of rapport a lot faster. So I'm a huge, huge uh, believer in empathy as a very effective leadership style and integrated in how you manage your teams for success.
0: Um you you mentioned take the time to speak and listen um, what if, so as an employee, what if you are in a meeting and your boss is telling you the same thing that that to solve a problem that's been happening for a year let's say or two years or something like that and then he or she starts discounting the problem saying it's not really a problem let's just sweep it under the rug and move on.
1: Mm. Oh, yes. In those moments, it's really key to let them know that it's, it's not something that should be discounted. Um, that could be done by sharing facts or data as to maybe the gravity of keeping that unresolved. Um, it could be showing that this has already created quite a few consequences on the business results. I could also be sharing, you know, if we don't actually fix this, it can lead to XYZ. So, a little bit of that anticipation factor as well. Um, but also because sometimes they might not realize how significant of an issue it is. They might be, again, at a bit more of a bird's eye view. So, they're like, oh, it's not really as much of a problem, or we probably don't need to fix that. But by not fixing that, it's going to create a much, much worse ripple effect that will then bite them afterwards. So, as the employee, you know, maybe even as the manager of that team, it really is your your responsibility to bring those points forward in those conversations to help resolve it, to help move things in the right direction, help them understand that by making a change here, there's actually a big benefit in doing that, and here's why, and help them see what that is versus just leaving it untouched and hoping for the best, which will probably uh, really work against them.
0: Um, the the employee turnover has been such a big thing now in the last couple of years. Um, yeah. and it's only gotten worse if, if you've consistently had employee turnover or you, you're seeing it more and more, is there, is there a way through exit interviews or other ways to figure out why are people leaving? And if they're, if, if, if they're there for a year, or if, if you can, I know you, you pointed out to data, and I, I, I'm a firm believer in data, if you yeah. can determine they're there for six months and then they leave, or they're there for a year and then yeah. they leave, and nobody else has ever been here longer than two years, is what is the issue there? Where where can we try to dig in and figure yeah. out and and try to solve that employee turnover problem?
1: Yeah, it's a great point, Brent. You know, I, I, I'm not opposed a, a to exit interviews, but I, I do believe that they're a little bit too late in the game. You know, that's the point where they've already made their decision to leave and we're not early enough in the process to avoid getting to that point. A much more important thing to do would be almost like intro interviews. And, and I, I don't treat it that way with my clients, but it's more around, you know, when you're onboarding team members, you know, when you're welcoming new people, really take the time to understand what motivates them. You know, what gets them excited to come to work? You know, really, again, empathy. Understand, identify with your employees because if you know that very early on and you are helping them do work and have a role that feeds into that directly, well, you're going to have a lot less turnover. I can tell you, I, I was case in point of this with my teams. I had hardly any turnover. The only turnover I had was people moving on to different teams because they were getting promoted, which was more of a reflection of their progress they were making, right? Um, you know, there's something to be said about really taking the time to understand what drives your team members so that you constantly have a pulse. And it's not just a one-time thing. You constantly have conversations, check in with them, Be, be in touch with them. See if you're recognizing changes in their behavior that might prompt something about their happiness level, their, their motivation level. Don't just ignore it i be like, ah, it's probably just tough times right now. If there's tough t- tough times in the organization, that's all the more important to check in with them regularly. Help them feel supported. Help them know that you're there with them, that they're not alone. And that's going to help alleviate a lot of need for exit interviews because there won't be so many people leaving the organization. They're going to feel really well taken care of. Of course, there's always going to be circumstances that what might leave someone to leave. It could be personal circumstances. Maybe it's you know a different opportunity that came their way that... You know they really just were so passionate about and perhaps the progress they were seeing internally wasn't what they wanted but i guarantee by having these types of conversations more actively it's going to kind of get to the root of the situation before waiting till exit interviews and this entire exodus of you know turnover of like what's happening what is going on here only to realize oh there's probably things we should have been doing earlier on in our onboarding or follow through with employee development that would have avoided us being in this situation.
0: The employee review process should cover a little that do you think?
1: It definitely should. uh, but I don't limit it to that. I think, you know, performance reviews is one aspect, but I'm a big believer in having more continuous dialogue to really check in with your team and help guide them and make sure they're on track with their goals and helping to be a champion obviously coming to the beginning part of our conversation if you have a really bad boss or a toxic boss they might not be so supportive in that and that might be a reflection of you know them as a as a leader but also possibly for you to move to a different team or maybe find a different type of organization that will enable really effective managers versus ones that are driving talent out the door. Um, but it's it's definitely something that t- plays into performance reviews and evaluations, but goes beyond that. If it's a really good boss, they're going to take the time to have more conversations and make sure that their team feels really motivated at all times.
0: Do you recommend as an employee uh, pressing for interim reviews and and maybe some kind of uh, – Uh, pre-performance, check in with your immediate supervisor to make sure you're on track?
1: I do. Yes, I do. And it doesn't even have to be anything formalized. It could be pretty informal, just check in. And again, as the employee, this is your responsibility to build your own track record. And Bring forward the evolution that you're you're showcasing in your role. You don't want to just rely on your boss to just know everything that you're doing because they they probably don't. And you don't want to miss those golden moments to share. You know how much that you've advanced or progressed in a certain way. So having those continuity of conversations is really important. And it could definitely be impromptu, like pre prep for a certain eval or something that you're prompting more in an ongoing way uh, that your boss and you can really discuss together.
0: All right, one last topic, cause I know we're kind of going along here, but um, let's just say um, your boss doesn't understand your job and you are working hard to figure out what are the key points that I need to communicate to show that I'm doing my job. Uh, and, and you feel as though you, maybe you're not appreciated in what you're doing because they don't understand it and you can't communicate in a way that helps them to understand it
1: yeah yeah that's an excellent point there's a there's a couple of things I think obviously there's a gap there in their understanding of the role so finding those opportunities of filling them in on maybe the complexity of the work that you're managing or that things wouldn't get done without you doing X, Y, Z and showing like really the importance of certain elements of your work and why it plays into the bigger picture. That could be one way to kind of get their attention without even needing to understand every single detail. They understand at least the value that you play in the work that you do. That's kind of one approach that you can take. Another is to also almost lay it out for them. You said it earlier, but you know, writing things out, maybe it's sharing something more visually that they can follow along with you and you can really walk them through in a little bit of the scope of the complexity that something takes or the level of diligence that's required or the amount of stakeholders that might be involved on a certain project and that this is something that you're really leading and owning in your work to get to that end outcome. So sometimes visual support can help them see it a lot more clearly and allow you to then pair that with the value that you're bringing in those, those uh, tasks and, and projects as well.
0: And yeah, that's great. And, and, uh, I, I have so many more questions, but I think we're going to have to, <laughs> we're going to have to round it out here. So, um, Tiffany, as we close out the podcast, I give everybody an opportunity to do a shameless plug about anything you'd like to plug. What would you like to plug today?
1: <laughs> Thanks, Fred. I love how you coined this, the, the joke and the shameless plug. Um, well, if anybody's interested and it's, it's kind of timely with the topic of today, Um, Next week on uh, March 22nd, I'm actually hosting a free Workplace Essentials workshop. Um, It's a very exciting workshop, a 60-minute event that is going to help you navigate workplace dynamics really effectively and activate your most successful you. There's a lot of things that school never teaches us. A lot of what Brent and I talked about today fall into that that camp as well. Um, And I'd love to really be there to help fill in those gaps and set you up for so much success in, in the workplace, because that's the foundation of inevitable success for you. And we want to get those things right. Uh, So yes, if you're open to joining again, it's uh, March 22nd at 12 PM EST.
0: Awesome. So you have just, I'm going to commit because my podcast comes out every Tuesday. So this will be, I'm going to make this one come out on the 21st of March. Oh. (laughs) Uh, And so we'll get it live by then. And um, I will put all the contact information in the show notes as well.
1: Okay. Maybe
0: I'll write something as a blog post in advance if you want to send it and and we can kind of direct some people your way. Oh, I
1: appreciate that. And I have a lot of different free resources as well, Brent. Um, uh, I just published a new free LinkedIn learning course as well, a nano course all around answering common interview questions. So that is readily available. But if people want a little bit more uh, one one on one action time with me in terms of a workshop. Uh, it'd be great to see them join us there as well.
0: And uh, one last question: Are you Canadian? I am. All right, good. So I got my accent right. Yeah. Still, I, I had a <laughs> Canadian yesterday as well. So where, where where are you calling in from?
1: I'm from Montreal. Oh wow. Okay. Excellent. Yes.
0: Um, good. Well, uh, Tiffany, this has been so enjoyable. I had another topic I wanted to talk about. It was the f- Fluffy pancake versus the crepe, where you either you spread somebody so thin that it's you know lose some flavor, or versus the oven pancake where everything is all rich and inside, and you have plenty of space to work. Anyways, Mm. maybe it'll be a new topic we can do in the future.
1: I love it, Brent. Thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun.
0: Thank you, thank you for making it to the end of this episode of Talk Commerce please rate this episode wherever you download your podcasts. We are actively looking for people to participate in the Free Joke Project. Go to talk-commerce.com and sign up for your free spot on the Free Joke Project. If you are a business, I will do a 30-second elevator pitch in the spot to help promote your business. That's talk-commerce.com.